so we're coming this morning to uh, look in Mark's Gospel at one of the uh, most amazing events uh, in Jesus' life when he was here on earth. I'm sure many of us, myself included, uh, will have uh, read about the transfiguration of Jesus on this mountain. It was near where they were. Uh, They were near Caesarea Philippi in the north of Israel. And some say this was Mount Hermon. Others say it's another mountain. We don't know, do we? Uh, But something amazing happened on the top of this mountain. Uh, Jesus uh, starts off by saying that some of you disciples are not going to die until you experience my kingdom coming in power. Now, we prayed, didn't we? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. What, what do we mean when we pray, thy kingdom come? What we mean is Jesus coming to us, not physically, that's going to happen one day, as we've been singing, but coming in his spirit. And what we've got happening in this mountain is three disciples, Peter, James, and John, experiencing the kingdom coming. Jesus being transfigured. Now, I grew up knowing about this, but when I became a Christian, I experienced something of this. Christianity is not head knowledge. It's experiencing the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what does the word transfigure mean? Does anybody know what the word transfigure means? Uh, The Greek is the same word as we get metamorphosis from. That's a big word, isn't it? Uh, When I used to do geology, we had metamorphic rocks. These were rocks that had gone through great changes because they were in the heat. So they changed outwardly from the inside. That's what it means. Let me give you an illustration you're all going to be familiar with in case I get you all confused with geology. Think of a caterpillar. And a caterpillar metamorphizing into a butterfly. So it happens from the inside out, doesn't it? The caterpillar begins to wrap itself uh, in um, whatever they call it. I can't remember the word now. And it doesn't look very beautiful. But then, one day, uh, the caterpillar comes. And it's a metamorphosis. It's a transfiguration. And what happened here, and what happens when we become Christians, is we see something of this glory of Jesus Christ. So I've just got three points, and then I'll be done. My my first point is these disciples saw the glory of the person of Jesus on this mountain. He was metamorphosized before them. Now, this is the only time before Jesus rose from the grave that people actually saw something of who he really was. Um, I've been studying paintings um, a little bit recently. Uh, Have you heard of, I'm not pronouncing the Italian name right, Caravaggio, Caravaggio? He was an Italian painter uh, in um, 15th, 16th century, and he got a lot of stick because instead of painting the ideal He painted things as they were. And there are famous paintings by him of Jesus and his disciples. And people were horrified by them. 
when he painted them, the Roman Catholic Church were disgusted by them because he painted the disciples as real people, as rough and ready fishermen, because that's what they were. And he painted Jesus Christ as a carpenter's son, and people didn't like it. Because that's all people saw when it came to Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't see anything special, did they? They saw a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was only 30, but they thought he was 50 because he looked so haggard. But what happens on this mountain is that the veil is removed a bit and they see something of who Jesus really is. That's why I started the service with the words of Peter, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. What a sight. Not seeing a carpenter's son anymore but seeing the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? Did you know what John said? You know this verse, many of you. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Did you know what that means? This glory, uh, what, what does the word glory mean? Uh, it means weight. It's an essence of God. It, it's something uh, awesome in the right sense. Uh, so you've got this cloud coming upon this mountain. This wasn't the fog that you get on mountains. Um, I was up a mountain on Thursday and it was covered in fog. This isn't fog. This is the Shekinah cloud. Uh, in the Old Testament, when God came down in the tabernacle in the wilderness or in the temple in Solomon's day, the temple was filled with Shekinah glory. For centuries, nobody in Israel had experienced the Shekinah glory. It had departed. But now, Peter, James, and John are privileged in experiencing the glory of the Lord. And it's the same cloud that Jesus will come back on. The glory of the Lord. Jesus was born in obscurity. Nobody recognized him apart from a few people. He'll come back and every eye will recognize him as the king of kings. The glory of the Lord. So that's the first thing. They saw something of the glory of his person. Elijah and Moses were there beside him. But they were nobodies in comparison to the glory of this person. Can I ask you, have you seen, not physically, but have you seen with the eye of faith this unique person, Jesus of Nazareth, very God of very God, as one confession puts it? What does that mean in plain English? It means he's 100% divine, and yet at the same time, as Caravaggio painted, a real man with all the sorrows that we are afflicted with, and yet this wonderful combination, the God-man, not 50% God, 50% human, 100% divine, 100% man, and all in one. One person. Amazing, I say. He deserves our worship, doesn't he? He deserves to be idolized. He deserves to be obsessed about. He deserves every breath of praise that we can give him. 
May this church be known as a place where we are obsessed about Jesus Christ. Do you know what they said of William Williams Pantakelin, the Welsh hymn writer, the sweet singer of Wales? He lived 200 years ago. When I was a boy, I thought he was an old, crusty man. But he was a young man in his 20s when he wrote his hymns, when he started writing, because he'd experienced the glory of Christ. And do you know what they nicknamed him, or nicknamed his hymns? They nicknamed them Emaniah Dooley. Let me translate that for you. The hymns of the one who had fallen head over heels in love with Jesus. You only need one word in Welsh to say that. <laughs> Dooley. Dooley. Do you know what I want this morning? I want the glory of Jesus to come down here. You know, we're not special, are we? Um, I don't know what Howell's weird gifts are, but we're, in a way, we're all oddballs, aren't we? We're, we're just ordinary people with our fears and foibles. God can come down. Uh, can I read this? Um, there, there was a Bible college before in Bridgend, it was in Bala. There was a Bible college there in the Presbyterian Church. We were in the Presbyterian Church. And there were students studying there. This was 1859. 1859. And one student said, I was in college at the time, studying great things, never having realized the experience of Christ. I knew Butler's arguments for a future state. Don't worry about that. And Paley's evidences of Christianity. Don't worry about that. I felt their force as arguments. He knew it all up here. But then came, listen to this, then came to our college two plain men from Cardiganshire. Think of Wynn and Angela going to Cardiganshire. Well, here were two ordinary men coming from Cardiganshire. And all they did, they didn't bother with Paley's evidences or Butler's arguments. All they did was preach Jesus Christ simply and unaffectedly without much culture, without much eloquence. But they had something. Do you know what they had? Eternity pervaded the service. Heaven was in the place. No one needed Butler's arguments or Paley's evidences, whatever they are. The change that I experienced was ample evidence to me of the divinity of Christianity. Before, I was a mass of damnation. Here is somebody in Bible college. I was a mass of damnation. He knew his Christianity up here. But I was a mass of damnation. Now I became a new creature. Oh, that's what Christianity is. Christ, glory of his person. Then let's move on. As I said, it wasn't just Jesus that was on this mountain, was it? Peter, James, and John saw two other characters. They saw Elijah, the prophet, and they saw Moses, the lawgiver. Elijah representing the prophets in the Old Testament, Moses representing the law. By the law, it's not just the Ten Commandments, but all the ceremonies in the Old Testament. And if somebody's asking me, how did they know it was Elijah and Moses? My answer is, I don't know. I don't know. All we know is that the prophets are all pointing to one person, Jesus Christ. The ceremonies of the law 
are going to be fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ. And so Moses and Elijah are here with him. But what I do know is that they were talking to him because we're told that. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall? Well, you can't be a fly on the wall on a mountaintop, but wouldn't you have liked to have been there just to have heard their conversation? What were they talking about? And you know what? In Luke's accounts, we are told they were talking about one thing. Do you know what they were talking about? His coming death in Jerusalem. His coming death in Jerusalem. Let me use this illustration. We're all looking forward to the wedding on Friday. I remember attending a wedding a few years ago, and in the wedding reception, I was with a fellow minister, and I had to apologize to him. I said to him, um, look here, it was Stephen Clark. We know Stephen Clark, don't we, from Bridgend. I said, I can't do small talk, I said to him. I'm no good at talking about the weather and talking about this and that. I can't do small talk. And do you know what he said to me? Let's do big talk then. <laughs> Let's do big talk. And we did do big talk. And it was a wonderful reception. Let's do big talk on Friday. And Moses and Elijah were doing big talk. Do you know what's the biggest talk you can ever do? Talking about the death of Jesus Christ. I know nothing, as Manuel said in Faulty Towers. I know nothing about why they uh, recognized Moses and Elijah as Moses and Elijah. I know nothing about that. But I know something about the death of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. I know something about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you want to know what I know? I don't know as much as these disciples experienced, but I know this. I know this. That the word for death is exodus. That's what Luke says. They were talking about his exodus to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? What is Exodus? Exodus is the children of Israel being freed from Egyptian bondage and being rescued and going to the promised land. And Moses, Moses, he knew, didn't he? He knew about the Exodus because he was there. And he knew that a lamb had to be slain when the angel of death came uh, that night when they were released. The angel of death bypassed the houses of the children of Israel because an innocent lamb had been slain and the blood of the lamb had been put on the doorposts. And Moses knew, I think, he knew that here was the lamb of God, the one that was going to be sacrificed for us, the innocent dying for the guilty, so that the wrath of God could pass us by. Isn't that wonderful? The blood not being sprinkled on doors anymore, but being sprinkled on hearts, even our hearts. Can you say that? As Wesley puts it in one hymn, his blood, the blood of the Son of God, the innocent man, the blood that has infinite cleansing properties. His blood can make the foulest clean. But can you say, his blood availed for me? It's sprinkled on my heart. I'm no longer a mass of damnation because he became my damnation. That's what happened on the cross. When he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was because he was being damned instead of you and me. 
the exodus, the exodus. Elijah, Elijah, I know Elijah was early on, but he must have been familiar with some of the prophecies, I think, I think. Uh, that talked about the suffering Messiah. He must have, he must have. And what about Peter, James, and John? Weren't Peter, James, and John with Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead? Weren't they seeing here the, um, the one who'd come to release us, not from Egyptian bondage, but from the bondage of sin and death and hell? He's come to free us from that by dying in our place. What, what better subject to talk about? Big talk. Big talk. Um, so, <laughs> I was in a Christian union once and somebody came up to me and said they'd been to our church twice and both times I was preaching about death. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. But they said it was so encouraging. <laughs> because you didn't just preach about death, you preached about Jesus. And they used the phrase, and I've stolen it this morning from them, they use the phrase, Jesus, the death destroyer. Isn't that good? The death destroyer. You know, in Bible college, we were told how to conduct funeral services. And Graham Harrison gave us this piece of advice. He said, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher here in Wales, he was asked to take a funeral of a famous boxer up in Merthyr Tydfil. And Dr. Martin didn't know what to do. I did I I didn't know this man, and it's going to be a hard funeral. It's going to be tough people there, not Christians, tough, hardened men. And he agreed, he agreed. And Graham Harrison was using this illustration because Dr. Lloyd-Jones said to him, and Graham was saying to us, Mr. Harrison was saying to us, you don't want to make people feel as if they're being got at when they're in a funeral. And so what did Dr. Martin do? He didn't want to make the people feel they were a captive audience so what he spoke about was this, the fight that this man, this great boxer who won many fights, the fight that he never won, the fight with death, the last enemy. Do you know what? We're all going to fail in that. We're going to die one day, whether it's soon or later, I don't know, but one day we're all going to be defeated. But one man has fought death. And he conquered. You know, Jesus Christ, when he came from heaven, he didn't come to be a spectator, did he? He didn't just stand on the sidelines in this fight. He went into the ring. He went all the way to the cross. And, oh, he got his hands dirty, as it were. He became sin for you and for me. And you know what? This is, I'm imagining here, I've never been to a boxing fight. So I've only seen it sometimes on television, if that's all right. And you can see, can't you, an opponent being knocked down. And then there's the countdown, and they get back up, and they fight again. And didn't we see that uh, in, even in the ministry of Jesus so far? The devil tries to knock him down, and it seems as if he's been knocked down. But he gets up again. And as we will see uh, during Easter time, when he goes to the cross, it looks, it looks as if Jesus has been knocked completely over and as if the fight is over. But praise be his name, after three days he rose from the grave. What? A getting up again. And he now went all the way up to heaven. And now he has won. Now he has the power. Now, if you call on him, 
he will save you. The death destroyer. Uh, this is a hymn. We sing it sometimes in communion. We're thinking of glory this morning. The glory of his death. Glory, glory. Do you know this? Glory, glory. Everlasting be to him who bore the cross, who redeemed our souls by tasting death, the death deserved by us. Spread his glory. Big talk, big talk. May this church ever be a church where big talk is being made. Big talk. If you're in Jesus this morning, if you're trusting in him, like the children's story, if you're tied to him, it doesn't matter how wretched you feel, through his victory, you are more than victorious as well. Isn't that amazing? Even though we will have to die, unless he comes back first, we are already more than conquerors. I find that great. Uh, when David Zadok was with us on Wednesday, he showed a short video. Uh, God is moving in uh, the, uh, the Jewish people in Israel. Many are being saved. And David Zadok so, uh, showed us a video of a baptism service that they were having. And did you notice the, the young man coming out of the baptistry and he did that, that, yes, I, I'm saved, I'm cleansed, my sins are no more. And even though I've got to die, I'm going to heaven. I, I'm going to the promised land. Are you going to the promised land? Not, not a physical Canaan, but a heavenly Canaan. I believe in the promised land, as one singer said. Oh, that's where we're going to, the promised land. And then one last point. The response. Don't you feel sorry for Peter here? <laughs> the glory of Christ and his work. And what's his first request? Let's make three tents. One for you. One for Moses. One for... How stupid, Peter. You're putting Jesus in the same place as Moses and Elijah. I think Peter was just putting his foot in it, wasn't he? He wasn't thinking before he was speaking, as many of us do. And was Peter imagining, wouldn't it be wonderful to stay up on the mountain for the rest of our lives? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a religious shrine up here? Have you been to a religious shrine? I remember going to one uh, when I lived in North Wales. There was a place near St. Asaph. Uh, and you could walk through the stations of the cross, and then there was a big cross on the top of the hill. Could, couldn't we have a religious shrine? Maybe we could charge people to, to come and experience Jesus. Maybe we could have stalls round about selling religious trinkets. You, you can picture it, can't you? Thank God the Shekinah cloud came and covered them all. And the voice coming out of the cloud, God the Father, this, not Moses, not Elijah, this, Jesus is my beloved son. Hear him. Don't listen to Moses. Don't listen to Elijah. Listen to him. And then once the cloud disappears, this is what I'm coming to. What do they see? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. My friends, that should be our response. None but Jesus. Jesus. Can do helpless sinners good. 
Is there anybody here this morning, as I'm winding to a conclusion, is there anybody here this morning who's putting Moses next to Jesus? What do I mean by Moses? I mean the law of God. Is there anybody here this morning who's trying to trust in the keeping of the law and trust in Jesus Christ at the same time? Give up, my friend. The law can't save you. It's Jesus' keeping of the law that saves us. Thou must save and thou alone. We're never going to be good enough. Only Jesus. Is there somebody here putting Elijah next to Jesus? What's Elijah standing for? The prophets, experiences. Are you trying to trust your feelings as well as trusting in Jesus Christ? Give up, my friend. The feelings come later. Just cast yourself on Jesus. How did the hymnist put it? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Isn't this what our Christianity should be all about? Uh, one commentator says, this is what all our experiences, all our theology, all our work should come to. Seeing only Jesus. The glory of only Jesus. Oh, uh, uh, you know, Christianity in the West is becoming too complicated, isn't it? Uh, uh, like I read in that account from 1859, we need to go back to the real thing. It's trusting in Jesus alone, not trying to please people. Sometimes I get the impression Christianity is about looking over your shoulder to make sure you're not offending somebody. That's not Christianity. Christianity is pleasing Jesus Christ alone, trusting in him alone. Christianity isn't just about doctrine. It is the truth. But Jesus is the truth. All the doctrine in the end is pointing to Jesus. The doctrine is the framework. Jesus is the building. If you haven't got Jesus, all your doctrine is useless. Christianity isn't a code of ethics. Isn't that a danger today with all the immorality around about us? We think of Christianity as simply being moral. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about obeying the word of God. That's very different from morality. Jesus speaking in his words. I, I've got to come to a conclusion. I've made a vow not to be too long. Um, Spurgeon, young Spurgeon, he'd just been saved. He'd just been saved. And this is his Christianity. May this be our Christianity. Only Jesus. The glory of Jesus. His death especially. Listen to Spurgeon and then I'll be done. I bear witness. Can we say this this morning? I bear witness that never servant had such a master as I have. Never brother had such a brother as he has been to me. Jesus that is. Never spouse has such a husband as Christ has been to my soul. Never sinner, a better saviour. Never soldier, a better captain. Never mourner, a better comforter than Christ has been for my spirit. I want none beside him in life and in death. He shall be the death of death. In poverty, Christ is my riches in sickness, he makes me whole. In darkness, he's my star. In brightness, he's my sun. If there was no hereafter, I would still prefer to be a Christian and the humblest Christian minister to being a king or an emperor, for I am persuaded there are more delights in Christ, yea, more joy in one glimpse of his face than is to be found in all the praises of this world and in all the delights it can yield to us in its sunniest as today 
and brightest days. Amen. If you've got Christ, brother, sister, you've got everything. No matter what life is like, if you haven't got Christ, even if you've got other things, even if you know it all up here, even if you're respectable, you ain't got a thing. Oh, may our Christianity be Christ. Christ and him crucified for his name's sake. Amen.